Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I was a man of means by no means, king of the road. Now I'm a stay-at-home dad. We're a married couple who discuss literature in our basement while our children are sleeping. Our show is pretty simple. I introduce Max, my poetry-resistant husband, to a poem which we use as a springboard for conversation in the one hour we have to ourselves in the evening. The boys are now asleep. So let's talk. Okay. What do you have for me, us, us this week? <laughs> Mass? The, the, <laughs> the, the many there? me's. <laughs> um, I have a poem from a poetry collection titled Personals mm-hmm. by poet Ian Williams. And the cover of the book looks like personal ads. Yes, it's so okay. fantastic. I love it. I mean, I, I love the poems in the book, but I kind of love the book as an object also just mm-hmm. in of itself, like looking around. I mean, some of these just totally crack me up. They're covered in, in personal ads, as mm-hmm. you said. And, and so real quick, though, for some of our younger listeners, personal <laughs> ads. <laughs> Yeah, you're things so that people right. had to put in newspapers. Yeah, at some point. Oh, do you remember like the personal videos? They used to have these on like... Oh, that's right. You could, pre-internet. Yeah, you can go and rent some VHS tapes with very desperate people. Who were like giving themselves video introductions. Yeah. Yeah. But but that, that was... That was I'm a into cigarettes, suspenders, and no sass or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> the terrible 80s haircuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these. Um, okay. So the personal ads here. Yeah. Personal ads, which you used to put in the paper mm-hmm. at, along with like your phone number. And then you'd get calls from people who are, you know, person seeking. Something. I mean, the personal ads, of course, now are all online. Well, and that's even better. They just have Tinder. They just swipe. Oh, they, yeah. got, they have yeah. it so much better now. <laughs> or it's so much easier anyway to have disposable dates. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I would like prefer that. Uh, my students complain about it all the time. I mean, they complain about it, yet they do it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just as we would complain about, I'm tired of meeting people in bars, or I'm tired of. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm tired of ninjas always attacking me when I'm trying to hijack some kryptonite, or <laughs> right, common, <laughs> common gripes for the Gen X generation. <laughs> the personal ads on here. Mm-hmm. There's readers seeking poems, <laughs> and then poems seeking readers, and so the uh, poems. Is that, the is that po- how it's broken up? Like section one is. No. Oh, okay. Uh, no, but but uh, you know, there's there are further advertisements inside the poetry book itself. So, the poems seeking readers are advertisements for the poems that are in the in the book itself. Yes, in the book itself, which is so much fun. Is one of them for the one we're gonna do? No, I was oh. looking. I actually found one that uh, of of an adjacent poem. Easygoing guy, thirty two, looking for a poem to chill with. <laughs> Maybe watch some Ultimate Fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Play some Xbox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Conflicted reader seeks same or seeks soulmate in the form of a poem. There's there's a lot that I really like about this collection overall, and one of the one of the main elements of it that I love is its imaginativeness. Mm-hmm. Almost every one of these poems are sort of spoken from the perspective of a different person mm-hmm. with a different perception. There are men, there are women, they're all over the place in terms of where they are in their kind of life mm-hmm. experience. There is a, a lyric sequence at the beginning of the book about a couple who is having difficulty conceiving, but the poems are are really voice driven, mm-hmm. character driven, mm-hmm. and Ian Williams is also a fiction writer. 
writer. He has a collection of short stories, and he just published a novel recently. Okay. So he's clearly a writer who's interested in character. Mm-hmm. And the imaginativeness of this is really kind of delightful. So I, I honed in on this one. But first, let me let me tell you a little bit about Ian Williams. Okay. He is a poet and fiction writer, as I mentioned. He, U.S. citizen or? Uh, no, he's Canadian. Oh, well, okay. I was going to say he has a very British name, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's Canadian. He's author of uh, Reproduction, most recently, which mm-hmm. is his novel, Personals, this this poetry book, which was shortlisted for the 2013 Griffin Poetry Prize. Mm-hmm. Not Anyone's Anything, winner of the 2011 uh, Glee Literary Award for the Best First Collection of Short Fiction in Canada. Mm-hmm. And You Know Who You Are, a finalist for the Relid Prize for Poetry in 2010. I know, the titles are so great, right? He was named one of 10 Canadian writers to watch by CBC, and he teaches at the Creative Writing Program at the University of British Columbia. Uh And he's also received fellowships from Cave Canem and the Vermont Studio Center. So I suppose we can just uh, jump right into the poem... You know, I think one of the reasons, though, why I was honing in on this a little bit. Because we haven't had a movie night in a while. (laughs) Yes, that. And also, you had been slowly watching Aquaman over several... Well, I, okay, remove remove the condescending look from your face as you say that, and that weird... You, you <laughs> that have, wasn't condescending. Your, your, that was your questioning. Your nose is crinkled, and your lips are curled <laughs> up. That is the obvious sign of human disgust. <laughs> no, that was me trying to like have you jump in. Yes, oh, you okay. watched Aqu- Aquaman, right? It yes. took me... Uh, weeks yes right i mean right. not that not that we have much sitting down and viewing time but right. i was not going to make you suffer through that and <laughs> holy crap was it painful well the thing that that, that struck me about is, is i remember you telling me that there was like, like a scene where uh this family is being divided and the, oh. and the woman is like oh yeah well the, the at the very beginning okay Quick recap of Aquaman's opening. Okay, he's a child of two worlds. His mother is the Queen of Atlantis, and his father was a a Maori fisherman who lived in Maine. All right. It was kind of convoluted there. A Maori fisherman from Maine? Okay, yeah. all right. Well, hey, well he immigrated, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, her people come to claim her back to the ocean. The family's attacked. She fends them off, and then she goes to, she's like, well, to keep my family safe, I have to leave. Okay. And so she walks to the end of the pier and looks over her shoulder and says, I'll never forget you and to her son and husband and leaps into the ocean, <laughs> not you, to be seen until the third act. You were like so upset I was so about angry. that. I'm like, if you, if this was the other way around and you said, I'll never forget you. I'm like, wait, was there a chance? Hold on. Of course, I'm never going to get you. I, this is our son. I mean, right, right. And that's my last words to you. Yeah. Like, written. not like, I love you, or I am changed forever by you, or yeah. I, I, I will hold you. I mean, you whatever. You saved just... me. You showed me what joy was, and <laughs> I'm, I'm breaking. I can't do Or whatever. I just wouldn't stoically say, I'd never forget you. And then jump off a yeah, cliff. flick my cigarette out, and then jump off. And <laughs> First, I would pantomime riding a motorcycle no, before right, I right. dove into the water. <laughs> I got to hit you right on the wind, baby. <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah, so I, I think my... if you did that, I'd just be like, God, what a dick. Man, I can get off the hook here for a moment i was getting heartbroken but geez, what a douchebag yeah. So, yeah so i was angry i was angry because for, 
I, it took me a long time, weeks of, of watching it in 10, 15 minute increments right. wh- where I could because I wasn't uh-huh. going to subject you to it and I wasn't going to. Do you think that that sort of like shifted or changed your ability to sort of sink into the movie though? N- no, because I was I was rolling my eyes throughout the movie. <laughs> the movie stopped me from sinking into the movie. OK, but that that I just like I think I turned it off and huffed over to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was written by somebody who's never had genuine love, certainly doesn't have a family that they've right or the parent of yeah so why did you get me going on aquaman (laughs) (laughs) however it was a super heavy metal finish i mean they threw everything they could at it he's he's riding a giant kaiju up through an erupting lava through a battle of multiple armies yeah ridiculousness it was awesome so is only the last ridiculous fight though now i know that this isn't a uh a, a drama it is an action uh superhero movie mm-hmm. would you think is aquaman would he be considered the romantic lead well he's he's the he's the dude he's the bro yeah because there's mira does he, get, does he get the girl he gets the girl he gets the empire he gets his mom back he gets uh, okay he gets he's, everything yeah he's definitely the romantic lead. and after then. after killing thousands of people oh you know everything yeah. is settled at the end there's uh-huh. there's no bad feelings uh between the different armies they're like oh okay yeah sure you're our king we're cool <laughs> we'll take the knee <laughs> I'm like, I'm just looking at really. Yeah, I'm just looking at what a bit of a little false information does to destroy our society and our country. I'm like, right. no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh man. Well, I I wanted you to sort of keep in in mind like various romantic leads okay. <laughs> from movies as we as we uh, think forward into this poem. Real quick, if you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab along the top, then scroll to the show title with the poem's name. The most recent show was always on top. And now for our feature presentation. The Romantic Lead by Ian Williams. I yawned all the while we stood on the prow of a ship, with our arms open in front of a green screen, I mean, a sunset. The week before, I had to watch myself, my black and white self, in a fedora, quick step through the lines. We'll always have Paris, though we were in Morocco, though we were on a couch, technically, with all her friends, when I charged in and said, you complete me. I zoned out in Stratford in a tomb when I found her dead. Just kidding. She was drugged up. Then when I woke up at the edge of a lake, her friends were back, this time as swans. And I wasn't clear on what I was doing in tights and a mullet. I zoned out again. We went back to the dumpster and ate spaghetti. You low down, you dog, you sweet thing, you, till we kissed, till we boogied. Okay, so I picked up uh-huh. Titanic, Casablanca, Jerry Maguire, Romeo and Juliet, whatever iteration of it that was, and Lady and the Tramp. And then Till We Kissed, Till We Boogied, it wasn't Boogie Nights, because kissing is one what they led up to in Boogie Nights. And it wasn't really <laughs> a, a romantic film. No, I wouldn't guess that that's one of them. Um, let's see, what did you, yeah, Romeo and Juliet? Are you checking to see if I was right? No, I, I just can't. I don't know if you, if you mentioned Swan Lake. 
Oh, that was my question. Oh yeah. I'm like, okay, well, was it Swan Lake or was it was it uh, an was it like um one of the joke parodies of Swan Lake that would pop up like in um Top Secret, the Zucker Brothers film, or Oh man, I'm guessing that this is Swan Lake. I mean, none of all of the things that mentioned here are all all famous mm-hmm. romances. Right, but if it's a guy's voice watching this, so he probably would have come across Swan Lake while watching, you know, Top Secret or Not necessarily. I mean, maybe his mom dragged him to a ballet. Oh, okay. Right? I've been dragged to those. <laughs> As a child. <laughs> as a child? As an adult. As a grad student. Often, I think I've been dragged to them. Really? No, not now. Not recently. Not for gonna, years. I was going to say, I don't think I've drugged you to a ballet, but... No, you have not. I, I would love to go see But the man who officiated our wedding oh, yes. was a ballet dancer. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so that was the one I was curious. I only had a question about... Well, okay. You know what? Let's go ahead and, I guess, okay, you well, break let- it down for me. <laughs> okay, so, A, this is a sonnet. So I was probably reading it way wrong. <laughs> you were reading it as a monologue, which is totally fine. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, so this, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say that this is a sonnet that is very aware of its. Sonnetness? Um, it's very aware of the tradition of a sonnet and is working hard against it. Okay. Well, does it give a shout out to, to Shakespeare? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I know, I know that's the tomb in Stratford. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you knew that. I actually had to look that up. Well, it's gloomy news. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's goth trivia, so. Oh, really? Huh. Okay, so for the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement. The poem we're discussing today is The Romantic Lead by Ian Williams. If you'd like to read the poem, you can find it on our website at litfromthebasement.com. We can start with the title here. Okay. The Romantic Lead. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things I really like about this poem is the way that it, it kind of exposes how dysfunctional our literary and cinematic encounters with romance are. Uh-huh. So the romantic lead here, uh, we assume when it starts talking, we assume when the poem starts, the speaker is sort of thinking through, you know, the masculine lead of a movie Mm -hmm. i mean that's the first thing you think of right the romantic lead in any any film um but i also find that this speaker uh isn't commanding in the way that romantic leads Mm -hmm. usually are like i'm very decisive i'm going to make this change and i'll save the lady and then she'll love me and etc and i never never misspeak i yes exactly um he never like zones out or yawns or or knows you know like like this is a terrible romantic lead right he's yawning on the prow of the ship he's not i I, and i took that as him like between takes like okay like for instance we know that that is leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet so i take it this first thing is like i yawned all the while we stood in the prow of the ship so i could see that it was maybe the camera was in on kate winslet so leonardo dicaprio was like leaning off frame eating beef jerky or (laughs) or just like (laughs) that's funny i hadn't thought of it in the voice of like an actual romantic lead from any of those i i thought we're we're thinking of this as the archetypal romantic lead okay like it ends up being this uh like um cumulative character okay right like you're you're most likely correct (laughs) in between our readings (laughs) um but i like imagining leonardo dicaprio eating beef jerky (laughs) while he leans out (laughs) while the camera (laughs) tightens in on kate winslet 
so the romantic lead here is the romance itself, our constructions of romance in okay. some ways, right? That we that he's well, being I'm sort nodding, of I'm led, <laughs> he's being led around <laughs> mm-hmm. through okay. through these various plot lines and these stories, like trying to get his footing. Like he doesn't even know like why he's there or what he's doing exactly. He doesn't seem particularly. Th- he just seems like he's checking out until the action happens. Like <laughs> oh, what do I? What, what before the next kiss, the next coupling? What happens? <laughs> well, I love I love how inept he is throughout this too. <laughs> Right. I mentioned uh, that this is a sonnet and this is very loosely a sonnet. It's a contemporary sonnet in that it's 14 lines. Um, Is that is that it for sonnet? Just 14 lines? Not necessarily. So so traditionally sonnets are spoken by if you're if you're looking at the history of sonnet. Yeah. uh, Sonnets are usually spoken by a dude Mm -hmm. to a lady Mm -hmm. that he's trying to seduce Mm -hmm. with either exaggerated compliments of her beauty, Mm -hmm. usually in the form of of a blazon, which I've I've talked about earlier. It's when um, you're like comparing each part of their body to some fantastic Okay. Thing, right. Yeah. You know, your eyes are like the sun, and yeah. your nose is your nose like, like a... the limpid pools, always running. <laughs> <laughs> Please never write me a blazon. <laughs> um, um, or he's trying to seduce her with his wit, as as John Donne was famous for. Um, he's like, mark this flea, and uh, oh yeah, and, you... <laughs> and and using a like this flea bit you, and it flea bit me. So basically, we're married. Yeah, the, already. Our, so yeah. let's just get it on. Is basically what the poem says. So so either way, like historically, we both got the plague now. So might as well just do it. <laughs> Carpe diem. <laughs> um, so either way, historically, there's kind of an element of sexual gamesmanship mm-hmm. to the sonnet, like in the way that it's it's meant to basically flatter or confuse a woman into bed. <laughs> confuse a woman yeah. into bed. Yeah. Like the flea oh, using okay. any kind of rhetoric where it's like, we've basically already done it. Or, um, you know, Andrew Marvel's uh, To His Coy Mistress, where he's like, had I had a hundred years to praise every eyelash, I would, but we don't. So... Life's short, baby. <laughs> Let's do it. I got a, I got a six pack of tall boys. I stopped chewing my school bandits. We stopped chewing. He's in preparation of wooing her. He's he's not, he's not doesn't have a spit cup anymore. Ew, disgusting. Um. So, but okay. So the sonnet. The reason why the sonnet is sort of attached to this idea of seduction. Mm-hmm. Is that it was made famous by uh, Petrarch in the 14th century, and and most of his famous poems were these love sonnets for a woman named Laura. Um, so Petrarch is Italian, so the sonnet originally comes from Italian, and in his in his many sonnets for Laura, his sort of poetic exploration of his of his desire for her, he uses a lot of hyperbolic comparisons, uh-huh. and uh, like he he compared Laura's eyes to to a golden citadel. Okay. Right. And then the tension of the poems almost always arose from uh, unreciprocated or inaccessible love, like the inability. Courtly love. Yes. The inability to obtain his heart's desire, Hmm. namely Laura, (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. which is probably not how it's said in Italian. (laughs) I think it's pronounced (laughs) Deirdre. So he, he... made the sonnet famous partly for this subject and and also he sort of solidified its form with a particular um rhyme scheme traditional sonnets especially the petarkin sonnet consists of 14 lines mm-hmm. in iambic pentameter 
The first eight of those lines comprise the comprise the octave, or the octave rather, when a uh, when a conflict is introduced. Mm-hmm. Usually in a love sonnet, this conflict is some variation of "I love you, but you don't love me." Dot dot dot. Yet, <laughs> right? Then there's the there's a volta um, or the turn, which typically appears at the start of the sestet, the last six lines. Last six lines. Okay. Mm-hmm. And introduces a different tone from the octave, and usually some resolution or reflection on the previous octave. So Petrarch influenced Sir Thomas Wyatt who brought the Petrarchan sonnet to England in the 16th century, and that's when Shakespeare gets a hold of it. Okay. And, um, and makes it his own? Yeah. He changed the he changed the rhyme scheme so that it was really like three quatrains as opposed to an octave and a sestet. Three quatrains followed by a couplet. Yeah. <laughs> you, this you, is, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I know... I know just because you looked at me with a smile on your face. Obviously, I had the same look on my face when somebody starts giving me a math problem. <laughs> yes, I'm like, um, <laughs> like, oh, there's numbers involved. <laughs> so four stanzas. I, I had that. I had that befuddled look that Tucker Carlson always has. I was like, um, <laughs> what? Okay. No, it's, so it's it's three four line stanzas. Three four line stanzas followed by one two line stanza. One, two lines. Okay. Yeah. So it all adds up to 14. That's still, you're right. That is still 14. Right. (laughs) So, but in the Shakespearean sonnet, basically you have 12 lines to sort of investigate whatever conflict you bring up in the poem. And Mm -hmm. then you have to sort of solve it in, in, in the short little couplet at the end. (laughs) Just wrap it up. Yep. (laughs) Credits are going to roll. Wrap it up. And often in, in the Shakespearean sense, it's, it's a reversal of whatever rhetoric he's, you know, consider this thing that I'm talking about, but ta-da. <laughs> ta-da. And it's when you pull the cloth from the table and the glasses stay on the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Um, so, but, so, so Shakespeare, you know, f- changed the form a bit, but he also actually shifted the rhetoric a bit. It, it's still about love mm-hmm. uh, in, in, for Shakespeare. But unlike Petrarch, he sort of makes this rhetorical shift away from the idealized love object. Mm-hmm. So specifically in Sonnet 130, my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun, which basically says that his his lady's not a perfect angel. And I see her clearly for who she is, even with all her faults. And I still love her. Mm-hmm. So this sonnet by Ian Williams makes an epic leap solidly into the 21st century. But you said uh, that in the Petrarchan sonnets, Mm -hmm. it's at the last, it's the beginning of the last six lines is where the volta happens, the change. Yes. Well, in here, the sixth line from the bottom is, just kidding, she was drugged up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things I would say about this, this sonnet is that it doesn't have just one volta. Oh, okay. Right? Like we're leaping pretty well so so there's no rhyme scheme there's no meter okay and there's not one volta there are several turns or in the 14 lines he alludes to no fewer than six different storylines seven if you include the poem itself as its own storyline right like as a a kind of archetypal romantic lead that's leaping through all of these yeah these um 
films. But what I find most amusing is what I mentioned before is that the speaker is like not in control of anything. It feels like he's like stuck in a TV that keeps changing its channel. Yeah, yeah. He's like, whoa. Like, <laughs> like somebody's just channel surfing. He's being thrown scene to yeah. scene. Yeah, he's not the witty master of seduction. He's like half awake and pushed around and run over by these like crazy romantic plots. He's like not leading anything. The romantic plot is leading him. Yeah, I think when this started, he was probably like searching the couch for some Cheetos that fell off and then just, <laughs> and then found Whoa, himself in a film. Here's Kate Winslet. He's still got like some Cheetos in his mouth and he's munching those <laughs> yawning around them. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's where we start, yeah. right? Like that's the very first illusion that we get. And and also just that the poem is so contemporary uh, in, in all of its illusions, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he does, he does reference Swan Lake and he does reference Shakespeare here. Um, you know, this allusion to Romeo and Juliet, but we'll, we'll get through all this. So the poem, is is full of cinematic illusions Mm -hmm. starting with the opening lines i yawned all the while we stood on the prow of a ship with our arms open in front of a green screen i mean a sunset the week before i had to watch myself and we'll stop stop there okay so clearly here he's talking about titanic yeah well you just saying anybody on the prow of a ship it's just now they Titanic owns that image. Yes. You can't say we were on the prow of a ship without this being the first thing that comes up, even though he throws it out with yawned. Yeah, yeah, You're like yawning? Yeah, I'm like, did 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 Leo <laughs> yawn in that scene? No, I don't think so. Put your hands on me, Jack. Hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish this taffy or it's, whatever. It's been so long since I've seen this movie. Like, I can't even really think of, like, how they got to that moment. Like, I read some of the synopses just to, like, try to, to recall what it is. Because mostly I remember sitting in that movie uh, and I went to go see it in, in the theater mm-hmm. and just being, like, really angry the whole time <laughs> that I was watching it. I didn't find this romantic. I found... I found um, I found it mean that the director would be trying to manipulate me into so many tears, <laughs> you know, like the water's rushing in, the mother's like putting her children There's to sleep. Sh- and, sh- yeah, the Irish yeah, I, are drowning I, in steerage. And, and, and despite the fact of being angry and being fully aware that I was being manipulated, crying anyway, yeah. because I'm a huge crybaby. So I'm just like, this is so manipulative and stupid. <laughs> just like, you know, totally going at it. But um so so I think I think it's probably worth it for us to sort of recall what these what the storyline is mm-hmm. here. So Titanic yep. from, from 1997, director James Cameron, mm-hmm. actors Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate, Kate Winslet. Winslet. <laughs> Do you love her? I I had a uh, that's why I was perfectly cool with the first boring half of Titanic cuz I was just enraptured. I love Kate Winslet. I didn't know that you love Kate oh, Winslet. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Um, oh, I approve of that crush. Yeah. Uh, she's she's a wonderful actress. Yeah, gorgeous hips. <laughs> All right. So, but, settle down. But it's, it's exactly the reason why Titanic at the time, it was such a great date movie. First half for the ladies, second half for the men. Oh, okay. We, we, you know, it's like towering inferno. We're like, uh-huh. How's the next person going to die? Oh, a bunch of people are falling off and hitting a propeller. And we're just like. <laughs> Is that what men want out of a movie? <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a perfect date night movie. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So one of the one of the elements of the relationship of of the two characters that they play, so Jack mm-hmm. and Rose, mm-hmm. right? So Rose has a fiance when she enters the. She's a kept woman, but she has a free spirit. <laughs> 
Yes. Well, part of the thing is is that her mother has basically forced her into being engaged to Cal because he's rich. Yeah. Um, and this will solve all their money problems. And Jack is a penniless artist. So there's a class issue happening mm-hmm. uh, here. Uh, and then, uh, you know, they fall in love. Drama ensues between the, the family. Then the crash happens. The ship sinks. Jack and Rose end up in the ocean on a wooden panel, buoyant enough for only one person. And he assures her that she'll die an old woman. And and then Jack dies of hypothermia. But Rose is saved. So there's this is the first romantic death mm-hmm. we get in this poem. And, and some of the elements of... I mean, there has to be clearly for a drama to happen. There has to be drama, right? Yeah. And, and there's plenty of drama in here. There's there's the uh, guy that Jack is stealing Rose away from, and the family drama of Ruth wanting her daughter to marry this guy, mm-hmm. and and then on top of that, like one of the greatest, well documented catastrophes of the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yes, of course, the prow of a ship, but we might not be entirely sure. And then, but he's at every turn, the speaker is disillusioning us yes. to any kind of romanticism. Yeah, let me disabuse might... you of something real quick. Yes. Okay. I mean, he's yawning, first of all, that you pointed out. Yeah. yeah. And then with our arms open in front of a green, green screen, screen. <laughs> and then line break, I mean, a sunset. sunset. <laughs> right? Like, they're not on the prow of a ship. And then the week before, I had to watch myself. And I like how this ends here with the week before I had to watch myself. The first of several of what I think of as hinge phrases in the hmm. poem. Without going any further in the poem, what one would assume that this is a reference to the romantic lead in Titanic. Jack was from the lower yeah. classes and is messing with a rich man's fiance, so he's got to watch himself. But then we can see how this phrase also indicates how the the speaker is playing with the idea of perception. This week before, I had to watch myself. But I think he's being made to watch these films with somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I get that sense, too. I had to watch myself. I yawned through. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yes, you're exactly right. For our radio audience who might be just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement. The poem we're discussing today is The Romantic Lead by Ian Williams. If you'd like to read along with the poem, you can find it on our website, litfromthebasement.com. So this particular line makes me wonder, is he speaking as the lead in the movie or as the watcher of the film? I had to watch myself. And of course, we see that there's not a period here. There's a comma. So the the sentence goes on. um, and, And by the end of... This sentence uh, that we're about to read, we are going to traverse two more movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is something I really appreciate. So, the week before I had to watch myself, my black and white self in a fedora, quick step through lines, we'll always have Paris, though we were in Morocco, though we were on a couch, technically, with all her friends, when I charged in and said, You complete me. <laughs> But that line ends with, I zoned out. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you that's true. You complete me. I zoned out. <laughs> so I love the quick step through lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be a judgment on the way the lines well, of the movie are delivered. Yeah. Uh, Humphrey Bogart was very clipped. But also, I mean, the SS are coming. You know, she, they got to get out of there before they all wind up in a concentration <laughs> well, camp. What is the idea? He's like, he's like, uh, 
You don't amount to a hill of beans. And... <laughs> you'll regret it. If not. Yeah, you'll regret it. You'll, you'll regret it more if you stay or, or yeah. I'll regret it. Yeah, it's... If not now, then soon and for the rest of your life. Yeah. This, which is such a, a strange, it's such a strange speech. I mean, he's saving her for what? Is he, I mean, he's saving her for her. But he's also saving her husband yeah. and sending her away. Because her husband is a resistance fighter. Like, And Rick Rick has been neutral. He's just been trying to skate through the war as a profiteer and just do his smuggling. Ah, and okay. then you know, he's not an idealized person. He doesn't care about the war. He's not a true believer. Ah, so and his... all around him are the factions fighting. And he's trying to be the neutral guy amongst the, the, Paris, the Parisians in exile and the Nazis. And mm. Okay. Yeah, so that's his character arc then, is that he basically he chooses a side he because ta- he's yeah. talking to somebody at the resistance at the end and, and, and is like... Or... Well, at the end, he's actually talking to the man who's supposed to be arresting him. I believe this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. He's talking to the man who's supposed to arrest him, but he's tr- maybe, maybe he's churned him out of that is kind of... Huh. Yeah. It might be the way that Bogart delivers a quick step through lines but mm-hmm. at this point we understand it's that the that the poem is quick stepping yeah. from one reference to another yeah. and and this technique this kind of dizzying this kind of dizzying turning forward into different movies from different eras all considered great love stories this is one of the pleasures of reading the poem and 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 possibly his poems overall which is that i'm never quite sure where we're going to end up mm-hmm. like i don't even know where we're going to end up in the next line right we just went from I had to watch myself to Casablanca to Jerry Maguire. <laughs> that is jarring. <laughs> but he does it all in one sentence, yeah. right? Um, and I wanted to ask you about um, about the, the cinematic technique uh, of a crosscut that, okay. that sort of depicts two or more simultaneous scenes or actions at the same time. Is that is, is what, is what I'm talking, thinking of? I think we're talking about as a split screen. Oh, is that what it is? Yes. Oh, okay. Is that this... this sentence almost acts as like a linguistic split screen i would like, say it almost acts like a like a smash cut <laughs> like, oh really whoosh, like the camera just <laughs> or or it could be as a quick fade like oh no well, hold on um i'm actually <laughs> oh yeah maybe there's a lot of quick fading in and out of a of this sort of funny dream sequence but, but he jumps out of i can see when he says um the we were on the couch technically yes. and then technically is where we jump to the scene so what it does, it, it's them watching Casablanca, mm-hmm. camera jumps back to him, because we, on the couch, mm-hmm. and then back to the TV again, where now we find people on the couch in Jerry Maguire. Oh, Her yeah, friends. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so, on the couch in Mar- Jerry, Jerry Maguire. So the cut yeah. would have been like um, action reaction shot. The action's <laughs> on the screen. Reaction yeah. is the people sitting on the couch. Back to the screen. Oh, look, something else has happened. Right. But you still hear the, I'm, I'm definitely going to have remote remote control clickers in the um <laughs> in the soundscape in the soundscape of this one yeah well i mean okay so but i love all the all the weirdness of perception happening yeah. in here right like watching yourself uh morocco paris on the couch with her friends when i charged in right and said you complete me <laughs> for those of you who who have not watched it I'm sure that most people know what Casablanca is, and I'm sure that people have heard of Jerry Maguire as well. Mm-hmm. But I actually had to be refreshed because I don't think I'd watched it since it came out in like 1996. Yeah, I haven't. Oh, that's right. These are all, well, not all. Casablanca is not 90s, but, but Titanic yeah, the, certainly, certainly was uh, second half of the 90s. Yeah, which makes me wonder about 
the sort of the speaker in relation to like where we are now Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. But so Jerry Maguire is about a sports agent who has a moral epiphany and is fired from his fancy high profile gig for expressing it, then walks out to start his own sports agency business with the only two people who will stick with him. One, uh, a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals and two, Dorothy Boyd, an accountant from his previous company who is a single mom and has a crush on him. Yeah. He falls in love with her kid. He has a big realization that money and success isn't everything. And then after after he his his one client who stuck with him stuck with him, uh, okay. he he achieves it. He gets placed. He gets a draft pick. I'm not exactly sure how it all. Right. He gets a signing bonus, and then well, he he's kind of messing up in the relationship. Um, Jerry that, is yeah, okay. and, and they have a breakup. Mm. They, they've sort of gone away. That's when you get the scene. And then he has some big victorious thing with the guy that he's that he signed. And he looks around and she's not there and the son's not there. Mm-hmm. And then he feels like sad. Yeah. Who am I going to celebrate this victory with? <laughs> yes. So then he goes and he finds her. Jump cut too. <laughs> okay. So, so I zoned out while reading that. <laughs> uh, the next lines are I zoned out. In Stratford, in a tomb, when I found her dead. Just kidding. She was drugged up. (laughs) Then I woke up. So clearly, he's talking about Romeo and Juliet here. And there are there are several elements of this that I find. I was actually thrown initially because I'm like, Romeo and Juliet didn't take place in Stratford. Yeah, anywhere near there. (laughs) No. Well, this this is what I like about it. I mean, the the whole the whole poem is anachronistic. Yeah. And it's playing with perception. And here he's doing this again. So we've got Stratford, which is not, of course, a reference to Romeo and Juliet proper so much as Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. which, as you mentioned earlier, is where Shakespeare is buried or said to be buried anyway, in the Holy Trinity Church in Stratford, England. Mm -hmm. I, I also like this moment where he's like, in Stratford in a tomb when I found her dead, comma, line break. Just kidding, comma. She was drugged up. <laughs> she took a roofie from a priest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Like, that makes it better. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I zoned out. Uh, and then I woke up in this tomb and found her dead. Oh, she was just drugged up. And then then I woke up. Um, and you're like, well, you woke up where? Where, where is even this going, right? Like, we, we're, we're in a completely different century now mm. with this Romeo and Juliet reference. And so I woke up up feels like another one of these hinges there's another hinge phrase that because it, it it moves forward this way then i woke up at the edge of a lake Aww. <laughs> her friends were back <laughs> the friends from the living room yeah. and the couch this time as swans <laughs> and i wasn't clear on what i was doing and 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 at this point before you move on to the line and i wasn't clear on what i was doing is true of the speaker overall mm-hmm. right yeah. but then you get this line break and then in tights and, <laughs> and a, a mullet, mullet. <laughs> and he says i zoned out again i'm like no I, i'm zoning in yeah. <laughs> tights and a mullet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there about to be a choreographed fight at a truck stop yeah. <laughs> sharks and jets or uh, maybe a lake near a truck yeah. stop i think that's where swan lake takes place right near it, a truck stop yeah so this is the one that maybe was a little bit more um muddied so i wasn't clear on what i was doing could also actually be a reference to prince Siegfried from swan lake okay 
he wasn't clear on what he was doing back at the lake after proposing to another woman, thereby ruining any chances of ending the evil spell on Odette or marrying her. Do you know this story? No. Well, as you say the names, it kind of comes to me. But no, it's been a long time since I... Okay, so rough and dirty take on Swan Lake. <laughs> so Swan Lake, there's a princess named Odette who's been put under a spell by an evil sorcerer. The evil sorcerer... Is it because um, she didn't love the evil sorcerer, or did she do something like eat some of his favorite blackberries, or what? <laughs> I, for, I forget. Very easy to... I forget, but her stepmom is involved. Oh, okay. Her well, stepmom yeah. doesn't like her either. A cavalcade of cliched so, villains. Yeah, so I don't know if the stepmom like got the sorcerer involved to curse her, or the sorcerer was like, hey, stepmom, let's curse her. And I, I, don't, I don't remember the backstory. All I remember is, so she's cursed to only be a swan during the day. Uh, along with a gaggle of swan friends who are also women who have been turned into swans. Wow. And then at night, they appear in their human form. So Prince Siegfried, who's like, the, uh, you know, like... A, a I have only seen this in the ballet then. I've... I've, uh, Yeah, I thought everything was interpretive dance. I did not know this was a literal... Oh, you didn't know the story? No. that's Because oh. now I'm thinking, oh, Lady Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, okay. So Prince Siegfried is... It is Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk's already better. I'll say that much. I don't know what Lady Hawk is. Michelle Pfeiffer, Ricker Hauer, Matthew Broderick. Big old question mark. Is that the where we're going to watch tonight? <laughs> After Maybe. we get done talking it's, about it's, this, uh, yeah, uh, they are a pair of lovers uh-huh. who uh, a covetous bishop wants her affections, and if he can't have uh-huh. her, nobody has. So he makes a deal with the devil to make her by day she's a hawk, and by night he is a wolf, and they can only see each other for a fraction of a moment at twilight and sunrise. Oh, they they upped the ante on the spell. Oh, yeah. Well, in this case, so Odette can, can so Prince Siegfried has been told by his mom that he's got to get married and mm-hmm. they're going to have like a ball to like choose a wife. So, That's um, how we met. <laughs> yeah, with all of our aristocracy, <laughs> <laughs> our aristocratic bearing. <laughs> no, so, uh, and he like, I forget why, but he like goes to Swan Lake with a, uh, the intent on killing some swans. He's got like a bow and arrow he's gonna, <laughs> at night. He's going to actually he's just like, like let's, throw... go, let's go swan hunting at night. <laughs> he needs to blow off steam. He's mad that his mom told him he got it. He has to get married. And, and his uh, friends are just throwing like Alka-Seltzer tablets to the swans and they're just bloating and exploding. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that's, that's in it. He like maybe I think even tries to shoot one of the swans. Has but a then, wrist rocket. And then and then <laughs> and then that swan turns out to be Odette and she like turns into her human form and is like, Hey, look at me, I'm a beautiful princess and he's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to try to kill you. I thought you were a swan that I was hunting at night <laughs> which doesn't make sense to me at all. And she's like, Oh, I've been putting out this spell about this evil sorcerer and he's like, Sweet, I totally love you. And, uh, and, and, and she's like, the only way that, oh, the only way that the spell can be broken is if somebody declares their like everlasting true love via marriage. Mm-hmm. So he, he's like, ah, oh, I've got this ball I gotta go to. So he's at the ball and then the sorcerer shows up with his own daughter mm-hmm. whose name I think is Odile. Okay. Very close to Odette. And yes. And via magic makes her look like Odette. Oh. So when she shows up as the black swan, he, the prince sees 
sees this woman and thinks that it's Odette. Mm. And she does this like super seductive swanny dance to him. <laughs> Her <laughs> and, neck gets very long. Yeah, yeah. No, she has like lots of like swan like movements in order to be like, hey, remember me from the lake? And uh, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, swans. And so um, he declares his love for Odette, thinking that, sorry, sorry, to for o- Odile, yeah. thinking that it's Odette and says, I will marry your daughter. And the and the sorcerer's like, ha, 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 ha. And then like there's there's like this very this complicated prank the sorcerer is pulling. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's so the white swan Odette is at the at the corner and like flapping her wings the whole time, trying to be like, no, don't fall for it. Don't say you're going to marry Odile. But then when he says that, she's like, no, and goes back to the lake and is comforted by all of her friends. Um, oh, that's how it ends. No, not necessarily. She's comforted by the friends. Siegfried like realizes what he's done and runs to the lake and is like, I'm sorry. Uh, I was under her spell. Like, I I totally love you. I thought she was you. And she's like, I, uh, but now you said that you would marry her. And then the the sorcerer shows up. Is this like, is she like honking on him like a geese and it's all in subtitles? (laughs) I'm sorry that I was marrying you. (laughs) No, please give me another chance. (laughs) No, I think she's in her human form at at this point. But the sorcerer shows up and is like, hey, you said you're going to marry my daughter. You got to stick to that. And he's like, no, I don't. We'll just kill ourselves. <laughs> okay. There we go. <laughs> and then they both die. Oh, well, at least uh, they don't die in Casablanca or Jerry Maguire. Or, or Lady, Lady the Tramp. Tramp. Yeah. yeah. So we're, okay, three wins, three losses, but <laughs> yeah. love and all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For the radio listeners who are just tuning in, you're listening to Lit from the Basement. The poem we're discussing today is The Romantic Lead by Ian Williams. If you'd like to read the poem, you can find it on our website at litfromthebasement.com. That's how he ends up in tights and a a mullet. mullet. (laughs) I zoned out again. Uh, And then I love this so much. We went back, back, line break, to the the dumpster dumpster. and ate (laughs) spaghetti. <laughs> Which is clearly Lady the Tramp, but like when you actually put it literally like that, it's like so disgusting. You just see him hey, reaching in like to a dumpster and pulls yeah. out like, ooh, a half done cup yeah. of noodles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you lie down, you dog, you sweet thing, you till we kissed, till we boogied. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I just want to say that this, this this scene in Lady and the Tramp that he's referring to here is when Tramp is showing Lady around town. And, and takes her to Joe's Italian restaurant, where mm-hmm. Joe, recognizing Lady's pedigree, prepares a romantic meal of spaghetti and meatballs near the dumpster behind his restaurant. All the while speaking with a hyper-offensive... Oh, it's so, it's so overdone. <laughs> I'm an Italian. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. I'm I mean, I can't even do it. It's so bad. And, and, and But while they eat... Joe serenades them with a rendition of Bella Notte with accordion accompaniment. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, right after that, they sleep in the open air together that night. And then in the morning, ladies like rushing off to go home and Tramp convinces her that it would be really fun to chase some chickens, which causes them to be shot at by a farmer and then captured by a dog catcher. So Tramp basically uh, causes then the, the second the second act of conflict yeah. to He to brought occur. Lady Low. Yeah. But also you left out the most, the iconic scene as they're eating the spaghetti. Oh, yeah. Absolutely listening to the song. They're serenading and they're so overthrown. They're chewing, 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 chewing. And, and they a little kiss. kiss. I like the way the Simpsons did it. Which is how? It was their dog, uh, Snowball or Santa's Helper. 
had run off. Anyways, doing the same thing, and they start doing the scene where the dogs are eating the spaghetti. And when the dogs are absentmindedly eating spaghetti, and when their snouts touch, they look at each other and start growling and then attacking each other <laughs> over the spaghetti. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it leads with this very sweet and and childish right ending, and then we kissed. Then we till we kissed till we boogied, and and this coming right off of Lady the Tramp, which makes me think that this is a kind of younger love. Mm-hmm. Like if if we think of of all of this as a kind of romance that the speaker is moving through, uh, and he's trying to figure out what to do through movies <laughs> right and you know this this romantic lead he's not the lead at all as we mentioned he's more like a pawn of the stories who are about who men are or should be mm-hmm. in the romantic lead right and and this shows us the various expectations surrounding romantic leads like who are they supposed to be and what are they supposed to do i mean obviously they're supposed to save the woman or promise to save the woman and then mess something up for her usually you know in in titanic when Jack's meet when Jack meets Rose, she's contemplating a suicide to escape her engagement, and he <laughs> he saves her with the promise of love. Yeah, we can go ride a horse, and we can go to Coney Island, and yeah, like I don't I don't know, like we can go skeet shooting. I don't know whatever he is. Yeah, I, so, but but beyond sort of societal expectations, um, uh, which is what I think the poem is is sort of pointing at, right? Like, who who. What realistic guy in any of these situations is is making any of these choices or doing any of these things? Yeah. Right. And also cumulatively to have all of these films happen in the in the mind of a young person. They're like, what? I mean, what it would be I, what paralyzing. Have got, what have I got to offer? Well, what have I got to offer? And, and, and also like a lot if, of people if you're not die. In a, if you're yes, a lot of people <laughs> die. If you're not like in a doomed or a totally dramatic situation, like how do you even work this? But I also think it's a pretty good explanation of what it feels like to be in a demanding relationship uh-huh. with someone who has really dramatic expectations mm. and changes them all the time. Like, <laughs> like which guy am I supposed to be for you now? The fighter, the lover, the prince, the starving artist, the tramp who settles down with only you. You are the one who can change me because you complete me. Like, which guy, which version of the romantic lead are you wanting me to be at any given moment? Mm-hmm. And I think about all of the romantic expectations I had as, as a young woman in terms of like, some of which were really, really contradictory mm-hmm. in terms of behavior, like what I was expecting from my perfect, in my mind, romantic lead. And and I, I kind of feel badly to a certain extent for any guy I had a crush on because there's no way that he was going to live up to yeah, whatever it is I had in my head. Yours was, here's your line. Where's What's my line? This is the line that... That got your legs rubbing like a cricket when you were younger. <laughs> what is that? Stay alive, no matter what. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you remember that. I will that. find you. <laughs> that is your line. Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, I'm one. You Daniel Day Lewis. Like, okay, wait. Oh, okay. okay, I know I delivered it wrong. Go ahead, show me the yummy oh. way you like it. <laughs> it's not like that. I think it's hilarious. You stay alive, no matter how long it takes, <laughs> no matter how far. I will find you. <laughs> and then he turns around and jumps through a waterfall. <laughs> so amazing. I was like, I love you. <laughs> However, uh, I, you know, like reading this, I, I sort of feel like it's, 
it's a guy on the younger side being like pushed through all of these romantic storylines mm-hmm. and and just kind of flailing like not really knowing how to land or or what to do at any given moment and so i'm really happy for him at the end when they kiss because he gets the boogie yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> like thank goodness poor guy <laughs> that poor romantic lead <laughs> If you want to read along with the poem, just go to our website, litfromthebasement.com, click on the show notes tab across the top, then scroll to the show title with the poem's name. The most recent show is always on top. And now for our feature presentation. The Romantic Lead by Ian Williams. I yawned all the while we stood on the prow of a ship with our arms open in front of a green screen. I mean, a sunset. The week before, I had to watch myself, my black and white self, in a fedora, quick step through lines. We'll always have Paris. Though we were in Morocco, though we were on a couch, technically, with all her friends, when I charged in and said, you complete me. I zoned out, in Stratford, in a tomb, when I found her dead. Just kidding, she was drugged up. Then, when I woke up at the edge of a lake, her friends were back, this time as swans, and I wasn't clear on what I was doing in tights and a mullet. I zoned out again. We went back to the dumpster and ate spaghetti. You low down, you dog, you sweet thing, you, till we kissed, till we boogied. I wanted to just end with a very brief paragraph from an interview that I read of his recently. The interviewer asks him, what do you think a poet's job is? Mm -hmm. And he starts with, but folks get paid for jobs. (laughs) 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 And then goes on to say, good poets push language push in the sense of extending linguistic and imaginative possibilities, and also in the sense of selling a language back to its users who use it out of necessity, but not necessarily for pleasure. Poets resensitize us to language and to the world. They send postcards from the future, and they're already at the arrivals gate, waiting for most people to recognize them. (laughs) He just... Uh, did he get those questions in advance to be able to spit off something that beautiful? I, I don't know, <laughs> but it's amazing, right? It's it's a sentiment that I totally agree with. Our theme music is by Status Q. We have links on our homepage for you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Spotify. You can also subscribe through the Google Play Store. Our show notes have their own tab on our website. There you can find a copy of the work we discussed, a link to purchase the work, author information, or anything else we thought might be relevant. If you have a comment, suggestion, correction, or an alternate reading, just send us a message using our contact page. If you want to hear Danielle read some of her work, click on the Vanity Press tab on our website. Okay, well, now we're going to go get a little bit of our own viewing in. What was the name of that movie? Hawk Girl? (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) Lady Hawk. Hawk Girl sounds dumb. Lady Hawk is sophisticated. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, let's Lady Hawk <laughs> let's doesn't go take any sass. <laughs> Lady Hawk has emeralds just falling from her. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Let's go watch this. <laughs> no, it's 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 actually it's too late. We we have to go to sleep. We'll watch AP Bio and then we'll watch Lady Hawk some other time. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Good night. You guys have a, a depending on when you listen to us. Good day or good night. Good day or good night. Bye bye. ads was uh, I am only interested in Canadians and other whites what I'm like Canadians are not an ethnicity well okay <laughs> technically yes it is an ethnicity but it's not an ancestry it's not a it's not yeah there's there's not a particular biology attached to, to Canadian yeah not if you're going to say and other whites. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is not related. Wow. That is um <laughs> that is profoundly stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that is a profoundly stupid person. <laughs> hey. Um <laughs> not only am I racist, but I'm also real dumb. <laughs> well, it's more the, or less with that. There's a lot of overlap. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. That's that's fair. Okay, our sound levels are good. Hey, let's get those yards out. Wow. Okay. Welcome to Lit from the Basement. This is Danielle. This is Max. I'm an author and professor. I was a man of means by no means, king of the road. Now, I'm a stay-at-home dad. We're a married couple who discuss literature.